the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I really like the title of this one book I have in my library, The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. We're looking at God the Son and His Death. Next, on Truth For Today, join us. been a marvelous series, Meet Your God, and we've taken a look at God through the eyes of Scripture in a variety of ways, from His various names to the role that He plays in the Son and the Holy Spirit. And today we have a final look at God the Son and His death and why it is so important. As I said at the beginning of the program, it is really the death of death that we find in the death of Christ. With more, here's our teacher and pastor, Phil Howard, on today's broadcast of Truth For Today. We are separated from God by our sins. The great divorce that took place at the garden is exactly what Michelangelo was trying to paint in the Sistine Chapel. He's trying to show the hands that were divided, a hand reaching through the cloud, and Adam's hand removed because a divorce took place at the garden We file the divorce. I don't want God. And God shows up, Adam, where art thou? And if he'd given an insane answer, he'd say, I'm running from a God who gave me everything. I'm running from a God that I don't like one prohibition. I'm running from the God that gave me my wife. I'm running from a God that gave me paradise. I'm running from a God who made me in his image. I'm running from a God that created me to worship him and take care of a garden. I'm running from you because you gave me one prohibition and I don't like to be told what to do. And so a divorce took place in Genesis 3. And the rest of the race and the rest of history is mankind living without his God because he filed a divorce in the garden. We need reconciliation intervention. Finally, uh, we are in bondage to sin. If you ever read Luther's great treatise, The Bondage of the Will, you would find out man is not born free. He's born in a cage. He's born in a dungeon. He's got the ability to choose, but he's a slave to sin. He's a slave to Satan. He does the will of his father, the devil, and he does not know how to do any other will. He thinks it's his will, but the God of this age energizes us to stay in the cage and to keep doing the will of this anarchist against God. It's the human dilemma that you can't educate out of a man. You can't build nice enough houses to get rid of it. Any nice place will turn into a ghetto once sinners have been there long enough. Because it's our human condition. But God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit said the only way man could get back and get in favor with God is through the benefits of the death of the second person of the Godhead. First thing, to take care of what we deserve to die, 
God says, I'll give my son as a sacrificial substitute. I'll let him die for sinners. I'll let him die in the place of sinners. I'll let him die instead of sinners. I'll give my son as a sacrifice. Not just a criminal, as it were, on a cross. Not just a body hanging on a middle tree. But there is an intended sacrifice. The altar of the Trinity was the cross. Not a temple where bullocks and lambs were slain. But God chose an old rugged cross where his son would be treated like a curse to be his altar of sacrifice for a race. From the garden to a cross. But the cross is the only way back to paradise. He has appeared once for all at the end of the age to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Propitiation. It's a great word. We don't use it a lot because it has over three syllables. <laughs> and we watch TV, so we haven't learned to spell. It's a wonderful word. Expand your vocabulary. Don't dumb down your mind. We don't need to be stupid about the Bible. God doesn't have to rewrite the Bible. We've got to figure out what he said. Propitiation. What is that? It means a satisfactory payment. It means this. God has been outraged by my sin, my attitude, and my rebellion against him. He's outraged that we divorced him. But now in propitiation, he said, Son, your death will appease all divine anger against mankind. Your death will satisfy my outraged holiness and justice against mankind. I'll be satisfied if you die. I love the way... Spurgeon said it. He said, God took the sword of justice and plunged it into the scabbard of mercy, and the scabbard was the side of his son. Justice found a resting place in the side of the crucified, bruised son of God. And God says, I'm satisfied. Death has been meted out on a life so worthy, so divine, that it one life is equal to a million worlds of sinners. I'm satisfied. I exact no more payment. That's enough. He did something else. He uh, brought reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5 says that to overcome our separation from God, Christ through his death and through his work on the cross and through the preaching of the gospel, He is seeking to reconcile the world to God. It's to bring back the feuding parties. In our case, the one that was offended was God. You know, when you're doing marital counseling and when people are filing for divorces, a big issue is who is the innocent party? God is the innocent party in this feud. In the human relationship, it usually takes two to create a big fight. I do believe there are innocent parties at times. Some that have not done the unfaithfulness, have not done that, kind, that deed that may grant divorce without forgiveness. God's heart is forgiveness, let me say that. You never have to get a divorce if people are willing to forgive. How do we get back to God? What was the divine intervention? Here God and us separated. We can't join hands Because we're looking that way, and God's here. 
and we've got our back turned to him, how can God turn us around? The way God said it is, the negotiating table will be the cross. I'll meet you at the cross. If you will come to my son, and if you will accept his death in your place, if you'll give validity and value to who my son is, and count it a sacrifice for your sins, we can be reconciled, and I'll even give you a relationship that Adam and Eve never knew. I'll put you in the one I crucified. I'll put you in, my son. And I'll accept you just like I accept my son. He never did accept Adam just like he was Christ. But he accepts a forgiven sinner today for Christ's sake. Do you want to be reconciled to God? Or do you want to keep the divorce up? If you're here without Jesus Christ, you're divorced from the living God. You're going this way, and it leads to destruction. It goes away from the heart of God. It goes away from the goodness of God. It's leaving the old father at the farm and saying, I'd rather do my own thing. And God stands. He told Israel, I stood all day with outstretched arms, but you wouldn't come. I just waited and waited. You never came. To get us out of our bondage to sin, God had to pay a redemption price. When you say you've been redeemed, you're saying God thought enough of you to buy you. Christ said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And that term ransom is to give a payment that can release that one held. Uh, in, In essence, at Christmas time, you're going to give money to people to redeem that sweater you want, let's say. The sweater is crying for you to redeem it. Macy's doesn't want it around in January. But you've got to pay a price to make it your own. This is really redemptive language. It's money language. It's the cost it will incur to you to have the item. It's that kind of language. The word redemption was born out of slave language. The slaves in Israel, if you go to Exodus, slave language. And the idea is... Mankind is seen in slavery on an auction block. And the issue is, who would want him bad enough to buy him? Someone said, if you want to know what you're worth, ask your family what they'd be willing to give as a ransom to buy you back. But be prepared. (laughs) You might not be worth as much as you thought. It's why poor folks are never afraid of someone stealing their kids too much. Thieves don't want to steal a poor man's kid. They know they don't have any money. You have to feed them. They want folks that's got money. And so the rich have to be highly protected, and their children. Because to steal that which is valuable to someone means money for you. But God sent Jesus Christ. Let him be made as a curse on the cross that he might redeem us from even being under the law. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. We weren't bought at an auction. We weren't bought at the price of silver and gold. But God bought us out of the slave market at the price of a slain son who was as a lamb to God. We used to sing a song, redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, redeemed forever his child I am, redeemed, redeemed. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed, redeemed, his child and forever I am. 
If you don't know what redemption means, you just sing a whole lot of nothing. What do you mean, redeemed? Is there any redeemed folks in this building? Where? Some of you aren't. That's all right. (laughs) You need to be bought. Maybe somebody else bought you. You see, over the head of every believer is a sign that says, not for sale. Sin's always trying to buy me. I have to tell it, I've already been bought. Why are you sinning at Corinth? Why are you involved in immorality? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know you've been bought with a price and you've been indwelt with the Spirit? How can you be sleeping with prostitutes when you're divine property? Uh, God didn't buy you to sleep with anybody. He bought you for His use, His will. Your divine property. Look with me now to Romans 3. I think the most theologically packed passage in all the Bible. He summarizes that the whole human race is lost. Is it warm to anybody? Uh, maybe the heat's on. We turn it off or open a door. I'm, I'm cooking. If we could turn it down, it would be great. I'm not cooking and preaching. I'm cooking in temperature. Uh, 321. After he's concluded that mankind is guilty before God, he says, but now a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known. What is he talking about? How I can be right with God has been made known. But it doesn't come from the law. The law and the prophets testify to this method, but they're not the method. This righteousness from God comes through faith. Now, now faith alone never saves you. If you get the wrong object, you won't be saved. Faith must have a correct object. Faith in what? Crystal ball? Crystal? The spiritual aura? You have all the faith you want, even superior faith, in that which is wrong, and you'll perish. I see some people in the cult have got more practical faith than many of the saints. They do a lot more for their religion than the saints do for theirs. But what is saving you is faith in the right object. What? Righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. What if I don't believe it? There's not one thing Christ did on the cross that will benefit you if you don't believe. None of the benefits come to an unbelieving world. You'll die in your sins. The cross is not universal salvation. You must believe. His death was sufficient for a million worlds. It's only efficient to a believer. The person right next to you can perish in their sins as though there were no atonement if they don't believe. All God asks is believe what I did can give you a right standing before me. This is all you got to do is believe what I did. I'm not asking you to do anything, but believe what I've done is sufficient for your sin problem. Is that asking too much? No one goes to hell 
telling God he didn't do enough. Nobody goes to hell saying, I was framed. Where were you? All will go to hell with a bowed head. I rejected mercy's cry. I rejected divine salvation's provision. I am a sinner and I've chosen hell for myself because I never wanted to come to the arms of a loving God who would give up his son. That is the curse of the race. Rejecting a pardon and accepting penalty. He goes on to say, there is no difference for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. We are justified or made right before God freely, that is without any cause in us, by his unmerited favor through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. How did Christ redeem us? God presented him as a propitiation, sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. The death of Christ is the redemptive price. The death of Christ is the satisfactory payment. God is asking a condemned human race, do one thing, trust in Jesus Christ, believe him, and I'll give you a righteous standing that you'll be accepted forever. All you must do is believe and you get a gift of righteousness that you can never earn. This is why the Son of God died. Charles Wesley was overwhelmed with the thought of it. And he said, and can it be? And can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Why you Why do you suffer for me? One of the great tragedies in life is all the innocent victims that suffer from another person's sin. The drunken father whose kids are slapped and beat and the check has been spent on booze and the kids are going without shoes, without food, without clothing. The misery of it all is my sin makes life miserable on others. And the great misery of the universe is why should God care enough for me to give up his son? I'm not worth that much. I have no one in this life that would do that much to have fellowship with a rebel. God said, I want my son to die. And God the son said, Father, I'm in on this plan. We both had it at the same time. You didn't even suggest it. For at one moment among the Trinity, it's like this. All three minds says, that's it. This is the way we'll get them back. But we'll first let them rebel. We'll first let them fall. We'll first let them exert their autonomy. And then we'll surprise the universe. We'll show grace. Caught angels and mankind off guard. Instead of annihilating the race, he decided to send a redeemer to rescue. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. It's sufficient for you, but it will never be effective until you turn the key called faith. That unlocks the door to the storehouse of all that God wants to bestow on you. I ask you, 
You obviously came to church intentionally. I see no heel marks down these aisles. <laughs> Just children. Uh, do you want to go to heaven? Sure. Are you going to heaven? What have you put your faith in? Have you ever put faith in Christ alone? It's a marvelous thing to know that you could say, my God is forever satisfied with me because he now accepts me on behalf of another. It's why when you come to prayer, you don't have to repeat to God all your depravity. I'm a worm. I'm a nothing. I'm this. God's going to say, I know it, but I loved you enough to cover you with my son's blood. And you see, you don't have bloods dripping off of you, but Peter said we've been sprinkled. And the idea is the benefits of his death have been sprinkled all over your life. I approach God in prayer like I belong in the third heaven. I do, because someone paid a price. Hebrews said I go through a new and living way through the blood of Jesus Christ. I walk around like I'm right with God. You mean you're not guilty? Are you supposed to be? I thought we were forgiven. You don't believe it. Most Christians, 50% always carry guilt complex. That's why they think you're a Christian. What are we carrying the load of guilt? Did he do enough? Or do you have to suffer a little bit? Do you have to do penance? We don't do penance in this church. We just repent and we confess sin and we cast sin on the benefits of the cross. Because we worship from a once for all completed sacrifice that can never be improved. And forgive me if I'm basking in it, but God told me I've surrounded you in grace. There are some of you so honry, I am amazed God would save you. <laughs> now myself, quasi-saint at birth, you know. <laughs> but he has loved you with an everlasting love. I wouldn't save me, not at the price of a son. But God would save you at the price of a son. Let's pray as our worship team leads us again. Our Father, you are merciful. You outdo all of us. We know nothing about mercy until we meet you in the Bible and meet you in Jesus Christ. There may be some sinner here today that's running from you, experiencing the agony, the alienation, and the heartbreak of the divine divorce that they've divorced you. And nobody's been able to get them at the negotiating table. Today, would you bring them to the cross by faith and let them there lay down their weapons and say, what I really need is a savior. I really need somebody that wants me bad enough to pay a price. And Father, and can it be that it would be the son who would die for us, a voluntary substitutionary, penalty-bearing death. I'm overwhelmed at the thought of it. If there's anyone here today that has never put faith in Jesus Christ, they don't know how to be right with you, and they think it's keeping rules, and it's changing maybe their dress, and they've got all these things, let them see they must put their trust in the Christ who would die for them and be raised for them, and that will save. Repent of their sins. 
turn their back on the life that's left them empty, beaten, and lost, and turn to the arms of the great lover of the universe, the Father. Let them come, Father. I can do no more today, Father. Only your spirit can clench this invitation. Only your spirit can draw them. Only you can bring them. Only you would put up with the resistance of sinners year after year. As you've done with many of us before we ever came. Do your specialty today. Save some poor, lost, lonely, separated sinner. And bring them into your family. Bring them into your family. And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, Simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. Now, as you stop by, you'll be able to drop us an email, but then take advantage of the many resource materials we have available, again, there at truthfortodayradio.org. Or, again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support? As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Yes.